Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, stagnancy, ignorance, all of this let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you in the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented by Apostle Arkady in your divine arms, and we ask you to continue to lead it with your high and uplifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May you be blessed. Please be seated. The book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 45 and 48. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Called to Perfection This promised commandment, the commandment to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, that was written in the book of Matthew, the Evangelist, and is presented to us in a series of sermons of our pastor, Apostle and Brother Arkady, this commandment is the inheritance of saints of all times and generations, and it is addressed by Christ Himself to His disciples. And so let us take a look at the main sign according to which we should judge of our partaking to the perfection of God. This is according to the ability to clothe our essence into the holy or the selective love of God. As it is written in Colossians chapter 3, verses 14-15, through 15, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. According to this passage, the rule of the peace of God in our hearts is possible only under one condition. If the selective love of God will dwell in our hearts and we will be clothed in the selective love of God. So the selective, holy love of God is the love of God, agape. This, in fact, is the union of all divine perfections. And apart from the tolerant and selfish love of man, as we know, the word tolerance is present everywhere. Tolerance is present in biology, physiology, chemistry. It is also present in mathematics. Tolerance is present everywhere. In our spirit, we must not have this tolerance. 
because this tolerance is unacceptable to the substance of our spirit. If it has found its place in mathematics, well, in our spirit, it is not called to find a place there. And tolerance is when in our body, in our organism, there are anti anti-agents that enter into our body with a different kind of genetics in order to reprogram our body and our body cells and our body in this moment does not have a strong immune system that can't create antibodies that would be able to fight against these anti-agents with a different kind of genetic a different kind of program and thus this genetic fully takes control over a person in these anti-agents Therefore, the holy selective love of God, it has these kinds of antibodies in our spirit that resist the other genetic, not a heavenly genetic. That genetics that is found in this world, that is found in hell, that is found in dead religion, there exists the genetics of hell. And therefore, apart from the tolerant and selfish love of man, the selective and holy love of God differs in that it is endowed with the zeal of God, his vision, his absolute wisdom, which is impossible to use in blemished, selfish, and the ignorant goals of a person. The selective love of God is called to destroy the power of death in our body and in its place to ring the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and to clothe our earthly bodies into the resurrection of Christ in the face of our new man. The selective love of God can dwell and express itself exclusively in the atmosphere of brotherly love in which we go from the state of eternal death to a state of eternal de- state of eternal life. This is written about in 1 John 3, 14-18. We know that we have passed from death to life. And well, why do you think on the basis of what? If we correctly say, we don't feel that we go from death to life, but we know that we have gone from death to life. On the basis of what place of scripture? On the basis of the book of Apostle John. Because we love the brethren, he who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murder has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. When a person is born of God, he is given the opportunity to either enter into the state of death and to become dead to God and unsuitable for any kind of good deed, or to enter into the state of eternal life, which previously was not known to him, and to become suitable for every good deed in demonstrating brotherly love. And so it will be necessary for us to answer four classic questions that were asked by our pastor and our apostle, Brother Arkadi, which we will provide an answer to. We will just once again remember those answers that he had given us so that we can renew them in our thinking and so that we can lead them, uh, bring them to our understanding. Because the virgins are going to need to get up and to fix their lamps so that they can go out and to meet the groom. To fix the lamp means those truths that were accepted in our vessel, they must finally be understood by us. Understood by us. This means to fix our lamp stands. That which was hidden, it has now become day, and now this oil has ended up in our, in our lamp. We finally begin to understand the Word of God. 
And so, four questions. First one, by what characteristics should we define people who are a part of the category of our brothers, for whom we are called to lay down our lives? Second, what purpose is the selective love of God called to fulfill in brotherly love toward one another? And third, what conditions are necessary to fulfill, to demonstrate the selective love of God in brotherly love in our faith? And fourth, by what signs should we test ourselves for the presence of brotherly love toward one another in the selective love of God? And so we together are looking or begin to look at the fourth question. Let's again read it. By what results should we test, or by what fruits results should we test that we carry brotherly love toward one another in the selective love of God? And let's take a look at the first result. The first result of our demonstration of brotherly love in our faith is our ability to be successful in brotherly love and be diligent in leading a quiet life, to mind our own business, and to work with our own hands our own hands, that we may walk properly toward those who are outside and that we may lack nothing. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 9 through 12, this is the letter from Apostle Paul. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for yourselves are taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also be diligent to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. We today are going to talk about these components. What is diligence in prayer? This is the quality of a Christian. Uh, this diligence must be expressed to learn to live quietly. Pastor will explain to us what it means to live quietly and how, how to be found in the coolness of day, in communication with the Holy Spirit, and when we are found in this place to do our own work in the church, not just business, it, it includes business, but to do with our own, own hands and to do our own work in the church so that we can help those that are in need. And so, in this place of Scripture, to be successful in brotherly love, it is necessary to be diligent and aspire to live a quiet life, to mind our own business, and to work with our own hands. On one hand, our diligent effort to fulfill these requirements, these two requirements, to live quietly and to mind our own business, testifies that we have gone from death to life. And on the other hand, our diligent effort to fulfill these two requirements will for outsiders be an indicator of our decency and our abundance in everything. It is our ability to live quietly achieved through our diligent efforts that give us the wisdom to mind our own business and to work with our own hands. These are the components, the key words we read. What are the key words that pastor is going to offer to us today? Diligence. This is what it means to live quietly. And third, to do our own work. Working with our own hands. 
Let's begin from this definition. What does it mean to mind our own business or to do our own work, to work with our own hands? Then we will talk about the atmosphere of quietness, the atmosphere of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit in which God speaks to us. And third, pastor will give us a definition of diligence. What is diligence expressed in this diligence in a Christian? But first, what does it mean to do our own business or to do our own work with our own hands? First, to do our own work or to mind our own business is to fulfill functions in the body of Christ according to the effective working by which every part does its share tied to the gift that we have received from God according to His grace. As written in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15-16, through 16, But, speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. What have we highlighted here? Each member joined together supplies whatever joint supplies. Each of you, each of us has a specific service. Someone might say, well, I actually don't know what my service is expressed in. The fact that you are sitting here listening to the Word of God, this is also a part of the important service. You are blessing with your presence, and this is very important. Sometimes just the presence of generals in the army, it prompted the army to do great things. They knew they will go out to fight. What will one person do? But when one person filled with the Holy Spirit is present and the anointing was present, everyone in the army then was uplifted. Therefore, previously in ancient times when there were no buttons and when people did not scare other countries on on the screens of television, they just they just press a button or try to go out and meet the enemy face to face without a button, without a television. And that was done by true warriors they had gone through a difficult school in order to sit on the throne you have one has to be very courageous bold because someone has to provide an example to their own army so to do our own work each of us has our own work in the church of god and so to work with our own hands then is to not act disorderly and to not lead a parasitic way of life that it is possible to first honor God with tithes and offerings and second to offer help to our needy neighbors so to do our own mind our own business and to do work with our own hands is to not act disorderly and to not lead a parasitic way of life when a person uh, takes a service uh, has a service and then he passes it along to someone else when I'm given a service I pass it along to another person person without being told to by a person of a higher standing. That is a, another, a way of disorder. Scripture says we need to mind our own business and to work with our own hands. We can be asked to help, but for this we need to be very careful. And now let's take a look about the decency of silence. What is the silence where we learn to mind our own business and to do work with our own hands? The decency of silence which allows us to live quietly is a kind of lofty goal that defines a certain unearthly state of our heart which is necessary 
were created in an atmosphere of brotherly love, this state is unknown to a carnal person. So quietness, silence. For a carnal person, he doesn't understand this atmosphere. And the unearthly purpose of quietness in Scripture is presented as a dignity of a precious promise that lies at the base of our salvation on which we are called to build ourselves into a spiritual house and holy priesthood. And in order to enter into the inheritance of this precious promise, yielded by quietness, and to keep it until the Lord Jesus appears from heaven, all effort and diligence must be applied. All of our diligence and effort must be applied so that we could receive this atmosphere of quietness and to be able to keep this atmosphere of quietness. Therefore, before applying diligence to enter the atmosphere of this regal silence, to preserve it and to affirm it in order to mind our own business and to work with our own hands, it is necessary to define this quietness. According to Scripture, to live quietly is to be found in the rest of God or to have peace with God and those that surround us in the boundaries of holiness and as an expression of holiness. And to enter into this regal quietness of peace, to keep it and affirm it, we need to apply all diligence. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 says, Pursue peace with all people in holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. So this pursue peace, pursue uh, means to provide an effort, to pay a price in order to have peace, an atmosphere of this quietness. Quietness, yielding peace with God that does not abide in the boundaries of holiness and is not an expression of holiness, cannot be called divine holiness or stillness, which allows a person to lead a quiet life and have peace with God. The atmosphere of quietness, as we have read here, it is impossible without holiness. The atmosphere of quietness is when I have peace with God. When peace of God is violated, peace with God is violated, then the atmosphere of quietness is not present. And when I have holiness, this yields quietness. On the pages of Scripture, the atmosphere of quietness first discovers its presence in the voice of God walking in the garden during the coolness of day. This garden is the place of worship in the spirit of a person. Genesis 3, 7-13 And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This coolness of day is the state of this divine quietness. During the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The serpent lied, deceived, and her quietness, the atmosphere of the coolness of day, was lost. The atmosphere of a sweet communication with God. The trees of the garden, which include the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, are the precious promises of God that are planted in the heart of a person in the dignity of the commandments of the Lord upon the mutual work of God and man. 
The tree of knowledge of good and evil represents the commandment of the Lord in the heart of a person, the keeping of which was comprised of not eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Keeping this commandment was the key, opening the door to the quietness, which was presented in the garden in the coolness of day in which a person was called to receive the right to eat of the fruit of the tree of life, the fruits of which were called to transform his terrestrial body into a body of heavenly origin. So, take a look. There are trees present there, but these trees did not just represent the sworn promises. Access to these sworn promises in the trees of the garden were available through the correct relationship to the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So the sworn promises, they can be uh, they can be used to our correct relationship to the commandments of God. And the Lord commanded what they are able to eat and what they cannot eat from. This was the tree, and it shows how these sworn promises are placed in our heart, the heart of our Eden, in our Eden. If we have this sworn promise present there, when someone says, I like this promise, who wouldn't like this promise? Who would not like this promise that we hear about? Youthfulness, glory, the glory of God, the spring of God, the greatness and the might of God. Who would not like this promise? But access to these trees of the garden is possible through our correct relationship to the tree of life and to the tree of knowledge of good and evil of which the Lord said, Do not eat, this is mine, this is hallowed unto me. Our relationship towards what is hallowed unto God defines my relationship to the quietness of God. And so, in Hebrew, the coolness of day, and again we're talking about the Eden of our heart, the coolness of day, the spirit, wind, blow, air, the breath of silence, the breath of peace, and the atmosphere of peace. This divine peace, divine rest. The Holy Spirit actively works in the coolness of day, which yields the atmosphere of quietness in the heart of a person. This was a wonderful passage provided by our pastor. It turns out that the atmosphere of quietness is necessary not just for us, but for the Holy Spirit, and this is a very active action. We should know that the atmosphere of quietness presented in the coolness of day is found in three mutual dimensions. Well, this is first the height of the heavens, Second, this is the sanctuary in the face of the bride of the Lamb. And the third, it is the contrite heart of a person that tramples upon hearing the preached word of God, which is an atmosphere for the coolness of day in which God walks. So take a look. How do we create an atmosphere of the coolness of day? It is necessary to have the height of the heavens. It's necessary to have a sanctuary in the face of the bride of the Lamb. And I myself must coincide to the coolness of this day meaning I must have a humble and contrite heart that trembles before the Word of God. And when all three of these dimensions they are present, this means that in our heart there is the coolness of day. This means that we have the state of quietness when we have these three dimensions. And so, if in the heart of a person the commandments of the Lord are not engraved in the dignity of the reigning teaching of Christ, obeying which opens the door to the precious promises of the trees of the garden, then this kind of a heart will lack quietness in the face of the Holy Spirit, where God could walk and discover Himself in our heart. The atmosphere of quietness in the dignity of the coolness of day is called to discover itself in the dimensions in the still small voice of the wind. Let's take a look now how we can achieve 
how can we achieve this quietness? These components were presented to us in the height of the heavens sanctuary and our heart that was humble and contrite. And now, well, how do we place this kind of quietness in these three dimensions? Well, let's take a look at where quietness begins from. Right now, we are going to see the wind, the thunderings, the earthquakes. Dear God, what is this? Well, we must create the atmosphere of quietness. And God never begins to create this atmosphere until He destroys something. He will never place the teaching of Christ in our heart until our heart is cleansed of dead works. And if my heart is not cleansed from dead works, then I stop I stop growing spiritually and I just remain in one place. And I simply turn into a proud religious person. Why? There are dead works. That's it. Spiritual growth for this kind of a person ends and is inaccessible because spiritual growth is there where there is quietness. There where there is quietness is there where the Lord is going to cast everything away with His thunderings, earthquakes, and tremblings. Let's take a look at what God did with Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11-12. through 12. How Elijah, the prophet that was raptured, how he received access to the quietness of God. Then he said to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, here we should add, but the wind was from the was from the Lord. And after the wind and earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and we should add, but it was inspired by the Lord. And after the earthquake, quake of fire but the Lord was not in the fire and we should and we should add but this fire was from the Lord and after the fire is still small voice in him take a look before we create an atmosphere in which the Lord could be we must agree to those events that are called to happen in our heart in which there will not be God present but that will come from God so we must have this earthquake, the strong wind, and the fire. When we hear the word of God that is ready to cleanse us, purify us, sometimes it corrects us, sometimes it wounds us, we simply need to react correctly to this word that we hear. And it is good for us when we correctly react. And in our church, we can simply rejoice in the fact when the saints hear the word of correction, they come up and they are thankful, they are grateful. And this is very pleasing and pleasant. You have spoken a correction. A person came up and says, Thank you, I understand, I will, I will, correct, I will be corrected. This is good. This means that we have been checked by this earthquake, the wind, the fire. And when a person reacts correctly, what does this tell us? In the heart of this person, there is a state of quietness. The character of the still small voice of the wind in the face of the Holy Spirit is called to discover itself in the heart of a person and in the assembly of saints when they gather together in an atmosphere of worship to God. If the character of quietness, yielding the order of God in the body of Christ, in the still waters of Siloam is neglected and replaced by stormy waters, which stipulate a different order in worshiping God, then we are not worshiping God, but the spirit of seduction, posing as the Holy Spirit, which has nothing to do with the nature of quietness. 
So some services and some worship have no relation whatsoever to the character of quietness, to the Holy Spirit. And we are not talking about dead quietness. This doesn't mean when people are asleep in church. This is a dead service. This is a mausoleum. And before them, who sleep in church, they don't receive the Word of God. And the difference between those that jump up in the churches and they point their fingers up to heaven and point to heaven and hell, before them there is no difference. We are talking about saints in which there dwells the quietness of God and have created this atmosphere for the Holy Spirit because only in the atmosphere of quietness God speaks and when God speaks, the hair raises on the head. The order of quietness and worship to God is an atmosphere of peace in the heart that is impossible to shake or cause to doubt because behind this atmosphere of peace stands the order or authority of the Holy Spirit who reveals the truth in the heart. John 14, 26-27 But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. He talks about the state of quietness, the state of Eden where God could speak. Not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Quietness that cannot discover itself in a voice that comes from the still, small wind does not have a right to be called quietness. Let's take a look at how God speaks. God speaks only from the atmosphere of quietness, of the quietness of God, and from the atmosphere of the coolness of day. When God came, when did God come? He came in the coolness of day. This isn't hot, this isn't cold, this isn't scorching, this is the coolness of day. He chose the best time, the best time when he wants to speak in the state of this quietness. Job chapter 14, verses 12 through 16. Now a word was secretly brought to me, and my ear received a whisper of it. In disquieting thoughts from the vision of the night when deep sleep falls on men, Fear came upon me and trembling, which made all my bones shake. Then a spirit passed before my face. The hair on my head stood up, on my body stood up. This is what we feel when we are found in this church. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice. Take a look. The atmosphere. This quiet nip quiet blowing I hear a voice and the hair on my body stood up in this kind of atmosphere it is difficult to fall asleep and now that we have been reminded in short definitions of the nature of unearthly quietness that is called to yield the nature of a still small wind in our heart we will turn to diligence that allows us to live quietly or diligence that allows us to keep the state of quietness, to hold on to it. The state of the coolness of date, the state in which the Holy Spirit is able to speak His Word of God and to reveal the significance of this Word. Diligence to live quietly is the strong desire or the strong thirst and hunger to find God and know God while dwelling in the atmosphere of brotherly love that can be kept and affirmed if we diligently strive to live quietly. And when God, seeing our desire, 
to diligently live quietly, discovers himself in our heart in his unearthly quietness, this means that the Holy Spirit enters our heart as Lord and ruler of our life. John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What is diligence? It is a strong desire. He who desires or thirsts, let him come to me and drink. There is diligence that is necessary here. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. As soon as prayer loses the element of diligence, in which a person searches to know the will of God, the Holy Spirit leaves this person. Because of this, man loses his virtue as a warrior of prayer. A, there's a wonderful passage. Let's read it again. We are talking about the atmosphere of quietness. We see the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, how they are united together. It turns out that this quietness and this coolness of day, they are created by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will never show His power and His authority until we show Him our desire, our desire to hear the Word of God. Let's again read this. As soon as prayer loses the element of diligence in hunger and thirst for the knowledge of the will of God, the Holy Spirit representing quietness in this person in the still small wind immediately leaves, leaves this person. There is no diligence expressed in hunger and thirst for hearing the word of God, to know the will of God and to fulfill the will of God. The Holy Spirit representing quietness in our heart leaves it and takes away the atmosphere of quietness. And what happens? The evil spirit then came to him, for, to Saul, because the Holy Spirit had departed from him. Because of this, man loses his virtue as a warrior of prayer. There is David, a warrior of prayer, who prays and who has the atmosphere of this quietness in his heart. Pastor reminds us that the etymology of the word diligence in the ammunition of warrior of prayer defines the quality of his prayer and contains this following meaning. So, diligence is not God's favor to us, but our favor, our favor to God. Diligence is a strong word. And, you know, the Lord wants us to know this. We say, Lord, show us your mercy, show us your favor to me, to my household, to my children, your favor to me so that I can be healed. Show this favor, we might say. But he says, diligence. What is diligence? Diligence is is a favor to fulfill the will of God. It is favor toward the desires of God. It is attraction to the fulfillment of God's commands. It is the position of our heart in the fulfillment of God's commands, the desire of good that comes from the good will of man. It is the mindful and voluntary dependence on fulfilling the will of God. It is the joy that is received from fulfilling the will of God. It is obedience or agreement to the will of God. It is All of this is diligence. It is also our care for the fulfillment of the will of God. It is favorable perception of the will of God. Take a look at the rich semantics that are contained in the word diligence and how we ought to act toward the will of God. There must be the desire present and dependence. 
and fulfillment and a correct acceptance of the will of God. And this is impossible without diligence. Thus, our diligence to live quietly can be realized only through diligent prayer, which gives God the basis to build an atmosphere of peace in our heart. And now, in the context of this meaning, Pastor provides to our memory already familiar components that define diligence in prayer that is directed to living quietly and thus to create an atmosphere of brotherly love in us. So I will remind you that today we are talking about the selective love of God, agape, that expresses itself in the atmosphere of brotherly love, and the atmosphere of brotherly love is impossible without the quality of diligence, and diligence is only a quality that a warrior of prayer has. We are taking a look at how we can have this diligence so that we can create the correct atmosphere of Eden, this atmosphere of quietness. And without diligence in prayer, this atmosphere cannot be created in us. And therefore, let's take a look at some of the definitions. First, a diligent prayer is seen by God as a sacrifice that is brought by a prince diligently that is equal to the sacrifice of the seventh day, which is an atmosphere of brotherly love in which man searches for God's favor in order to live quietly and to find the favor of God. The presence of an atmosphere of quietness in our heart for which the price of diligence is paid testifies before God that we have brotherly love in our faith which makes our heart a place where God rests. Such favor to God on our end gives God a basis to turn His favor on us, to put us in the depths of His peace and to clothe us in His peace in the face of the Holy Spirit representing Christ for us. And so, we uh, first diligence component of diligence we look at is when the prince brings a sacrifice according to diligence. So we're going to find this, sac- this prince in us. Ezekiel chapter 46 verse 12. Now when the prince makes a diligent burnt offering or diligent peace offering to the Lord, the gate that faces the gate that faces toward the east shall be opened for him and he shall prepare his burnt offering and his peace offerings as he did on the Sabbath day. Then he shall go out and after he goes out the gate shall be shut. From this place of scripture it follows that to diligently aspire to live quietly and thus to make our heart a place of rest for the Most High, it is necessary to have the dignity of a prince in our essence. For a prince to be able to create this kind of offering or to bring this kind of offering, this burnt offering and this peace offering, it is necessary for us to have this prince in ourselves. And what does the word prince mean? As we know, the word prince means a man who owns his horse or who controls his horse. Therefore, to be a prince is to dominate over the emotional capabilities of our soul with the rational capabilities of our soul. So the prince is the substance of our soul that is presented in renewed thinking that rules over our emotions and our feelings. And we on Friday had talked about how it is impossible it is impossible to put a seat on a horse that has not yet been bridled. 
first the bits and the it is bridled the bits are placed on the horse and he can be bridled and only after this the seat is placed on the horse a person his whole life he tries to place a seat on his horse to try to bridle his feelings but he can't is unable to do so it's not difficult to bridle a horse why use your whole life you just need to understand that the first action is to bridle our lips and then to place a seat on our horse person thinks i want to say whatever i want to to whoever I want. Well, we ought to recognize that we need to dominate over the emotional capabilities of our soul with the rational capabilities. First, I place the bits in the horse and then I begin to place the seat on him and I begin to control my emotions that they are used to this kind of discipline. This kind of dominance is possible only when the rational abilities of our soul and the dignity of our prince are made completely dependent on the rational abilities of our new man, who is the priest of our essence in the dignity of the mind of Christ. Our renewed thinking must be made dependent on our spirit, and our spirit must be made completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. Only then we will be able to have a prince who will be able to diligently offer a sacrifice. Exodus 33, 13 and 17. Moses says, If I have found grace in your sight, show me your way, that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight. And I know you by name. The meaning of this prayer of Moses can be illustrated by these words. And so, if my heart has been made a place of your rest, then I pray, show me your way that I may know you, so that your heart can be made the place of my rest. And so that my heart can be made a place for your rest. This is what Moses had prayed about. If I have found grace, the Lord says, you have found grace. Why have you found grace? Because I, Moses, have found grace in you, have found favor in you. We must obtain favor from one another so that we don't try to take grace from God, whereas at the same time we don't show Him our favor. And this was the first component. It is an important one. It is necessary to have a prince in our heart and it is necessary for this prince to bring diligently a sacrifice to the Lord. And what's interesting is when he brought the sacrifice, that in this day, the Sabbath had begun. How do we bring according to sacrifice to today is Tuesday, today is Wednesday, today is Thursday, today is Friday, today is not the Sabbath in Israel, today the temple is closed. But when the prince came at any time of the week, he came on Tuesday at our prayer service, the doors of the temple were closed, but because of the prince, the temple was opened and the whole service began. The priest came, the high priest, and there was service that began because the prince came and brought his sacrifice. The sacrifice was taken and brought into the temple. And when the service had ended, the prince left and the temple, the door of the temple or the tabernacle were once again closed. Each time a person has diligence, a strong desire to do this, then this is called the Sabbath, the Sabbath of God. But we must not try to mix the diligence that comes from the 
diligence that comes not from the correct position but comes from the flesh. We must not mix our human initiative in this. Was I asked to do this? No. Well, why won't I do this? David also thought, why should, why won't I number Israel? How many do we have? This was the initiative that he himself had provided. But if we have a king, a prince in our essence, then we ought to be very careful with initiatives. Second, a diligent prayer is seen by Scripture as obeying the voice of the Lord in the face of His messengers in which man demonstrates brotherly love in his faith. Diligence is obeying the voice of the Lord in whom? In the face of His messengers. With this kind of obedience, a person binds himself to the Holy Spirit and makes himself completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. Zechariah 6.15 Even those from afar shall come and build the temple of the Lord. Then you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. Diligence directed to obeying the voice of the Lord in the preached word of the person who represents the fatherhood of God is irrefutable evidence in which we demonstrate brotherly love in our faith. On the one hand, the result of such brotherly love suggests that we are passionate about the precious promises of God. Now, on the other hand, the result of such brotherly love suggests that we will be mocked daily. For this kind of obedience will be mocked daily and desire to hear the voice of God in the face of the person who represents the fatherhood of God. Even if we agree to this, this is great favor to God when we say, Lord, I accept your word from the lips of the Father that you have sent to me. The Lord says, all right, I'm going to warn you what is going to happen to you. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7. O Lord, you induced me and I was persuaded. My pastor, what precious promises he is speaking. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. Are we ready for this? I am in derision daily, everyone mocks me. So, over all of you, perhaps people have mocked you. They laughed at you. Why are you listening to this person, they might say. Who is preaching in your church, they ask. Also, people, we don't listen like they do. People say, I... I accept only those things that relate to the Spirit. Everything else that this man says, everything else that the pastor says, it's my own opinion, and so let me uh, deal with it as I see fit. What does this mean? This means that this person does not have diligence. We are talking about diligence that is expressed in obedience to the voice of God. Over these kinds of saints that do this, they are going to be mocked. Furthermore, diligence aimed at obeying the voice of the Lord and the preached word of the person representing the fatherhood of God in which we show brotherly love in our faith indicates that we are led by the Spirit of God, which is a confirmation that we are children of God. Romans 8.14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So we can say, Lord, I thank you. We thank you that we are led by the Holy Spirit. We are not led by our own understanding, our own intellect. We thank you 
that you have given us the man of God, the person of God to whom you have entrusted your word and who has written it, who has explained it to me. And now I have the opportunity to read it, to pray according to it and to clothe myself in this word through this prayer. I am led by the Holy Spirit. It is not one who is begins to seek, speak something that is some kind of phrase or slogans. And then the church sits there thinking, what is he saying? This isn't be called being led by the Holy Spirit. This is the manifestation of an unclean spirit. Furthermore, diligence aimed at obeying the voice of the Lord in the preached word of the person representing the fatherhood of God, in which we show brotherly love in our faith, points to the fact that we obey the voice of the Lord and He knows us and that we follow Him on His path. John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That is why those that have been said, well, we have, we have cast out demons in your name, we have preached, we have evangelized with your name. What did he say? You are lawless. They did this incorrectly. Someone who is lawless is someone who does something against the law of God. He says, I never knew you. Here he says, my sheep who hear my voice, the voice of the shepherd, Lord says, I know them. But those who behave according to their own mind, he says, you are lawless. I never knew you. We are talking about diligence. Third, a diligent prayer is a diligent offering to God clothed in the format of tithes, the offering of which allows man to demonstrate brotherly love in his faith. Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 through 2. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. For everyone who gives it diligently with his heart, you shall take my offering. A diligent prayer without a diligent offering to God, clothed in the format of tithes, is a forgery, of a diligent prayer and a diligence to lead a quiet life. Exodus 35, verses 22. They came, both men and women, as many as had a willing heart. So for this, there to be a willing heart, it is necessary to demonstrate diligence. As many as had a willing heart and brought earrings and nose rings, rings and necklaces, all jewelry of gold, that is, every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord. Diligence comes from a willing heart in which God rests, which gives him the basis to lead us into the quietness of his peace. So let each one give as he proposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Diligence always points to the readiness of a heart to fulfill the will of God and to lead a quiet life and demonstrating brotherly love. 2 Corinthians 8.12 or if there is a diligent mind, it is accepted according to what one has, and not according to what he does not have. And that is not all. Diligence without zeal loses its power and stops being diligence. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your diligence, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. So, zeal which is written about here, which the Christians had, this is ardor expressing itself in inspiration, 
while diligence is the rejection of laziness and the desired willingness to fulfill the will of God by demonstrating brotherly love in the will to lead a quiet life. So, each time, based on what we have read, each time we partake in tithes and offerings, then in these in this service must be present zeal or diligence. And if there is diligence, there is going to be zeal, presence for God. And diligence is where we have a willing heart. We open our heart to be able to bring God a voluntary offering. But we clothe this offering into format of a tithe. We incline our heart and we clothe our heart in the service in the format of tithes, not when we want, how much we want, to whom we want. Our favor is expressed in the fact that we say, Lord, I open my heart so that with great desire, so that cheerfully I can give to you and honor you in the format of your tithes. And pay attention, in dead religion, in dead Christian religions, people say voluntarily, well, how much do you want? And, well, there's a lot that I want. It is foolish to ask, how much do you want? What do you want? If we all say what we want, what will we arrive to? I need to show the commandments of God to show this is the commandment of the Lord and I will teach myself to want that which God wants and this is going to be my favor to God. Why shall I be asked, how much do you want to give? Say, how much, how to honor God? What kind of format? Tell it to me and I will love it. And again, we're talking about Eden for there the Holy Spirit to be present. The Holy Spirit will be present there where there's the commandments of God, the Word of God, not just I wish, I desire, I understand, or I don't understand. Fourth, we are talking about diligence. A diligent prayer is a sacrifice of thanksgiving, where a person with faith sees his deliverance from all trouble and thanks God for this. Psalms 54, verses 5 through 6. I will diligently sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of all trouble, and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. We can receive deliverance and blessings from God under the condition that we belong to the body of Christ, which is called to be verified by brotherly love. And therefore, a diligent sacrifice is a way of demonstrating diligent brotherly love in our faith, which will express itself in praise to God for deliverance from many troubles. And the phrase, and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies, points to the state of quietness or the peace of God that discovers itself in the atmosphere of brotherly love. What have I highlighted for myself here? We have enemies in the face of the old man. These are wicked people, lawless people. And how do we look at them? We look upon our enemies. Where? From the atmosphere of quietness. Therefore, all of that which comes into our life, perhaps in our life there may be some kind of illnesses, afflictions, troubles, that we are maybe congested and sick. I am worried about you because you are worried about me. I am... Honestly, I am more concerned for you than you are concerned for me. All of us might have congested. I just 
don't have time to be able to leave the room and to be able to take care of my runny nose and to be able to come back. But I am I'm learning with you to be able to look at things from the place of rest, from the place of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, how God looks at this. Fifth, a diligent prayer includes a proper relationship to our assembly, which demonstrates brotherly love. Ruth chapter 2, verse 2. So Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. If Ruth had not shown diligence in search of the favor of Boaz in his field, which meant the meeting of saints, which was an indicator of brotherly love in her faith, God would have no reason to introduce her into the genealogy of Jesus Christ, which is the atmosphere of brotherly love, the atmosphere of God's rest. Therefore, we can be partakers of the genealogy of Christ, which is the atmosphere and indicator of brotherly love, subject to our partaking to our assembly. Not just to an assembly, but to our assembly. Hebrews 10.25 Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Sometimes people miss this place of scripture. Well, people, when people say, well, I'll watch church on the internet. Sometimes people from other churches say, there are so many different good churches on the internet. No, there are many churches on the internet. But the key word is we ought to not leave our assembly, our church. This is that church because of which Naomi said, I am dying to my nation, my household desires, my household and my corrupt desires. Your God will be my God and your people will be my people, she says. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of sun, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Sometimes we say, you're talking with saints, and we talk in Russian, when people say, well, I went to an American church, an English church. There was a Romanian that I met. He speaks English just like me. I ask him, where are you going to church? He says, to an American church. I said, well, you're a Romanian. Oh, in Romanian churches, you know how much gossip there is there, slandering how much you are talked about in American churches? People don't care. They ask, how are you? And they walk right behind you and they don't don't care. I said, well, you left your church because someone is gossiping there? But this was your church. This was your assembly. And you chose a church for yourself that would flatter your ears. That you can warm yourself in the microwave and feel, oh, I'm still Christian, I'm still alive. How much can we warm up this decaying body in the microwave? It's necessary for a body to be alive. When a person forsakes his assembly, then this kind of a person is then transformed into a lawless person. And this is very dangerous. Yes, people might speak about us in churches. Well, who cares? Have I not spoken something negative about somebody? I've also done this. And what, these people have to then stumble or I stumble upon them? We are people, we make mistakes, we come to church so that we don't level up to each other in our spiritual level. No, we come here to become better. I 
including me, I come here to become better. But if mistakes are made in the church, does that mean we then have to leave our Romanian, Ukrainian, or Russian church? Although today it's very difficult to say that we have a church, uh, a Christian, or a Russian church. I think we have more nationalities than, than Russian. We just speak in Russian because this is the format in which the format which pastor preaches the format in which I understand him, the format with which I begin to speak with God. I can't speak in another language. I speak in that format in which I have learned to speak with God. Therefore, for me, this language is very important. I love this Russian language. And I know there are other saints that do this, saints from Ukraine. They also speak in our church, even those who speak Russian poorly, they try to, but they have love toward the Word of God. Why do they sit among us? Why don't we just have Russians here? We have Germans, we have Hispanics. There are many saints that are found among us, not from the Russian language, but we are based on this language because uh, it is pre preached to us in this language. Therefore, we thank God that He gives us this kind of a mercy. Sixth, a diligent prayer includes our readiness and our ability to give our brothers in the faith if they have offended us, which demonstrates brotherly love in our faith. Matthew 6, verses 14 through 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. A person didn't want to forgive, he didn't want to forgive, he went to that church that would flatter his ears. From the above context, it follows that this is not about all people, but only about our brothers in the faith. Forgiveness manifested in brotherly love creates peace and holiness without which none of us can see the Lord. Hebrews 12.14 Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The peace that we create in brotherly love as an expression of holiness gives us the right to be called the sons of God. A peace is an expression of holiness. This means that to conduct this kind of peace is not easy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. If we today look at peacemakers, this perhaps isn't somebody who has internet you can uh, look up the word peacemaker and the first thing that will come up is strong people that are clothed in a helmet with a, a gun you might say what is this these are peacemakers these are killers these are peacemakers these kind of peacemakers we ought to be in holiness so each time we have some kind of resentment against our brother when, when someone says, I'm leaving this church, I'm going to go to an American church. In order to keep this atmosphere of peace, we need to forgive our resentment. And holiness requires a price. We must not leave anywhere. People will say, I'm going to miss two or three services so that someone calls me and asks, how are you doing? We should not skip service and we do not... Uh, do not forsake our assembly, especially when someone is in resentment, because this is very dangerous. Seventh, a diligent prayer includes diligent submission to our masters in the flesh. 
which allows us to lead a quiet life. So, our boss at work. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Without voluntary obedience to our masters in the flesh, with fear and trembling as to Christ, this is also a forgery or a fake diligence. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the sources of life. So it is necessary, in the seventh aspect, to serve with diligence as to the Lord, to those people who are our managers at work. And Scripture says that we must work from our with our soul and do our work as to the Lord, and this is not enough. When I was hired to work, Scripture says that we need to act with those people who hired to us as to our uh, Lord. It doesn't mean to pray to them, but to love them, to thank God for them, and to pray for them. And through this, we show to God our diligence. Therefore, we are going to pray, and upon this place we call upon every person, every person in whom there is dil- diligence, to come and to be rid of some kind of sin, to be rid of fear, to come to thank God also. We don't just come out here in order to repent or to confess our sins. We come upon this place as princes, princes whose heart burns, whose diligent burns to thank God in this place. If God has blessed you and you have felt this blessing, come out upon this place. And we come out here and we say, thank you, Lord. I've never had this before, but I thank you for this blessing that I have. Well, what will others say? Some say, he has sinned that he's coming out here? Let them say what they want. We come out and say, Lord, I thank you for the great mercy that you have blessed me with. Let others say, what kind of sin does he have? Let's think what kind of sin he has. Who cares? Let them think. Lord, I have come upon this place to thank you as a prince, to bow down before you. We wait for you upon the altar. May you be blessed. I will pray with our prayer and I ask you to deeply believe 
that God is for you. He is not against us. He has loved us with his eternal love. He has given us the work of his redemption. He has stood between us and our enemies in order to protect us and to raise us up to his level. Your eyes closed, this is an element and a symbol of your secret room. Your hands raised to the heavens, this is a sign that our hands are without doubt or wrath. Please pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you and upon this holy place in the congregation of your holy saints, I uncover my heart so that you can see my pain, my suffering, my pain that has been brought on by sin which I despise and which I reject. I come to you with my illness, fears, with my wounded honor, with my wounded shame. I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, heal my wound, restore me, protect me with the blood of your Son. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that according to your word, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, I am saved. Your sins and transgressions are forgiven to you in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he come down abundantly upon you with his whole, with his countenance and give you peace. May thousands fall near you but not draw near you. May all the blessings of the ancient hills and ever mount, everlasting mountains come upon you. May with a noise the power of death be cast out of your body and may in its place be raised the power of life. May all of this come upon you and upon all of your descendants and may the people say Amen. Alright, saints, we will conclude with our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory in unblemished joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, through Jesus Christ, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.